You're listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Welcome to Planet Pod. Today we're talking about smart cities for the future. And our discussion focuses really around Global Goal 11, sustainable cities and communities, making cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient and sustainable. It's the first of a series of three, and we look at what a sustainable city really is. And we thought we'd start with transport. And what better place to do that than here at the heart of the Transport for London building in Southwark, Palestra, which we've just been informed, actually means some kind of uh, ring or centre for, 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 for boxing and, and sparring. So hopefully we'll have some sparring, but no boxing. And we're here as a guest of um, Alex Gilbert, who's a senior strategy manager at Transport for London. Thank you, Alex. Um, and we're joined by Celine Cluzel, who's a director at Element Energy. Welcome, Celine. Thank you. And by Naomi Nye, who's a sales manager in EVs for Alfen. And I really want to talk to you about what it feels like working for a Netherlands-based co- company here in the UK. So we're going to pick up on that in a minute. But let's start by thinking, what do we mean by a smart city? Um, Alex, if you had to kind of define that for us, what would you say? Firstly, thank you very much for having me. Great to be on the podcast. Um, It's a very complicated term. It's one that's probably overused by everyone in the industry. And there's been about 5,000 conferences over time trying to define this. And no one ever is quite clear. For me, ultimately, and this is, I suppose, both from a personal perspective and also Transport for London, it is uh, an integrated platform where you can utilise all of the potential infrastructure. So we talk a lot here at TFL about the eventual movement from TFL, Transport for London, to IFL, Infrastructure for London, where we integrate transport with energy, with housing, with digital, property development, everything fully integrated. Obviously, our remit can only go so far, but it's quite broad. But ultimately, utilising all of that, integrating as best as we possibly can, that it's smart, that it's connected, that it's efficient, reliable, that to me is the, the future of sort of a green, livable, smart city. And you're already doing really exciting things, aren't you? Because TfL is a big landowner. Um, you've got lots of opportunities, as you say, to develop you know, building and housing. Um, we had a guest on the pod who was talking about the scheme where you take the heat from the tube, you know, the heat from the underground and use it to, 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 to power homes, to find, find heat from homes. So there's lots of opportunities for doing things like that, aren't there? But, but I was intrigued just walking through the corridors here to see that actually um, transport also includes pedestrians and, and people, doesn't it? It isn't just about making the buses turn up on time or making the tubes run. It's you've, you've already got that beginning to look at that integrated picture, haven't you, about people and their movement around, around the city? Absolutely. So obviously a long, long time ago, this was just London Underground. And most people would still associate and they'd say, you're the guys that run the tube. That's how we're known. There are now 17 different transport facets of um, of TfL. It's always a brilliant quiz question where you have to try and guess those. It took me ages to get all of them. One for the listeners, they can try and spend their time. But of those 17, 14 of them, I think it's 14, are actually different modes of transport. But bear in mind, of course, that's things like the Emirates Airline, it's ferries, it's walking and cycling, it's dial-a-ride, 
it's of course taxis, overground, underground, buses. It's vast how how sort of widespread but yet connected all of that is. And interestingly how individual aspects affect the other. I spoke at a conference last week and somebody said, how do you see the future of London with sort of Brexit? We won't go there. But with population changes, but with also the success of other initiatives impacting on revenues. We're always trying to get more people cycling and walking. Obviously, that means they're not using the tube, which means they're not paying. So you've got to think about all of that and as a commercial entity, how we consider that. But ultimately, yes, there's a huge amount of different transport modes. It's very exciting. I suppose we'll come back in a moment, perhaps, as to how you can connect those in a smart, efficient, sustainable way. But that's the real future of a city is how is how you can do that and utilise all the best modes for the best time. That is obviously green and clean and everything else as well. So you've got a vast master plan, I guess, haven't you, to see how all those things interconnect. And 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 if we're talking about you know moving around our city in a sustainable way, and we're not just talking about public transport, we're also talking about you know vehicle transport, and we presumably. I know today we're going to talk about you know electric vehicles and, and, and the charging opportunities. But, but if one of the issues, I guess, is that we've just got too many people coming into the city and going out of the city because, you know, you didn't mention overground, and I guess a lot of people who are listening to this may well be on their, their commute home on a crowded train. I mean, is there any space in that wider thinking about our sustainable city for having people not coming in in the first place? You know, and the agile working and the, digi- you know, the digital agenda where we've got people based at home not necessarily commuting in five days a week. Absolutely. It's another really key factor. Again, it's one of those that counterintuitively or counterproductively may end up impacting on TfL because, of course, if people aren't commuting, they're not using, you, you come back to that again. But we know that's the future of cities, and actually I'm sure Celine will say more about this and, and how people might utilise transport. But for most people that live in central London, I would see, by central I mean even within North Cirque, South Circular, probably there's no need anymore to have a car everything can be integrated you can ride share you can obviously use various taxi riding services and different brands are available for promoting the individual one which i nearly did <laughs> um i suppose that for the future people are going to the merge between live and work is happening now more and more and more and that will continue live work and leisure and everything it just becomes a sort of amorphous mm. entity within london and that that happens so much even at TFL, I mean, well, widespread of offices, we're all encouraged to have remote working, flexible working. So that's happening here as well as it is in most places. That'll have big impacts on transport. It's one more very complicated variable that goes into the big question, which is what does London look like in 2050, 2065, whatever. It's another big question there. I want to react. <laughs> Celine, I cannot do. stay long time. No, 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 he's had the floor for long enough. Yeah, Remember, this is the sparring ring. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, I have to say that I was really pleased when you started at the question smart city and saying this is an overused term because I don't like it either. <laughs> smart means anything and nothing. And I'm really pleased to see you got this overview in this work. And I'm a big fan. I'll admit it. I'm a big fan of the work of, of TFL and I think cities well advanced, etc. But I'm here to one of the thing, well, two two main questions for you. One is the role of um, the private sector in helping you realize that vision. One app I'm really a big fan of is City Mapper, and it really integrates. It gives you the information on how you go, you go from what A to B with all different modes and how you go from one mode to the other. And that's brilliant. And I wonder if you have in your vision a place for this type of you, know, you share the information and someone clever will do something that will enable something else. Which I think is brilliant. 
And then the other thing, um, which is more criticism, quite often there's this um, healthy street views, these futuristic views of the city, and it's great because you've got trees and people can walk, and etc. But there's nowhere for a truck to stop and unload things, for instance. There's sometimes I'm missing the practicalities. And I wonder if you heard that criticism before, and you know, how do you combine that vision of a nice place we all want to live in a place where the air is clean and there is no noise and it's unpleasant but we also want to receive goods and move around yeah that's a really interesting point you've made because we do see those models of the kind of you know perfect city of the future and they're all little kind of models of people walking along tree nine streets and then there's perhaps a bit of green planting in the middle of the street and everyone's on bicycles but 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 i guess the vast majority of people have things delivered to their home you know amazon would not be amazon if it wasn't making regular deliveries and, and they're probably not doing that by bike. So so it's actually reconciling those two contradictory needs, isn't it? It is. I mean, the, the, the stat that I was once told, which has always stayed with me, that I think is astonishing, is we're all sadly old enough to remember when sort of online began and everyone had this vision, vision of you know, no more storage space. Everything's just somewhere ethereally cloud-based, something or other. In reality, every pound that we spend online requires three more times the space than every pound we spend offline, which is astonishing and, again, very counterintuitive. But all we're doing is creating more and more logistic space, warehouse storage. And that's normally not in a city centre, of course, for obvious reasons. But it still has to come in. And as you say, there is that paradox because no one ever shows that in a picture. No one ever shows the dirty truck turning up and blocking the road and everyone getting annoyed and frustrated. But we're on to possibly another Planet Pod topic here, which would be you know, overconsumption and affluenza and lots of deep stuff that I won't I won't go into. But we are de- we demand more and more and more and quicker and quicker. I mean, Amazon Prime now is sub four hours, isn't it? You can have basically anything you want within four hours, which is a remarkable target. That's a massive challenge for planning the transport system of a city, though, isn't it? Because all of that, you know, because by definition, that warehouse storage space will be out of town, won't it? So this is more stuff coming in, whether it's small, you know, whether it's bikes or motorbikes or small trucks or something, isn't it? So, and, and that runs counter to this idea that we've got that we're going to get everybody into a sustainable green transport mode because, on the whole, a lot of those delivery trucks are still not very green, even with, you know, the carbon emissions zone and the, you know, no, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a huge challenge and a lot of work's being done on freight. That's a big, big focus commercial in terms of the EV strategy going forward. You know, the key users obviously will be the likes of taxis, but light commercial freight. Heavy goods is, is a big challenge. At the minute, there are no great, uh, call it low carbon solutions. We could debate electric, hydrogen and other sources, but that's a huge challenge. Like commercial, it's easy to see how that could be turned green. But congestion-wise, of course, a green car is still a congested space. And getting that, and ultimately we know the ultra-low emissions zone in London will spread over time. It'll become stricter and, and wider, broader. But we've still got to address, I think, as society, as a city, as to whether we all want to keep taking deliveries internally. And if you are a shop in central London, you clearly need your stock mm. brought to you. These are big challenges. I'm going to have thoughts, but I'll, I'll probably won't go into great depth there. But it is, I'm going to throw yeah, it back to you, Celine. I mean, you asked the question: What do you think that 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 smart, sustainable city of the future looks like? Then, taking account of those needs that we have as consumers, I wanted to do that difficult question to him, but <laughs> <laughs> I would say I would take the other way around and say all the negative of today, if we could erase them, so we would want cleaner, no noise, easy to go from A to B. 
So you still use Libyan jargon, you see when you answer the question, you say, integrated platform, what does that mean? I think if we just take the user, the city dweller, it's the idea that when you want to go somewhere, you have lots of options, and it's really easy to choose between these options, and it doesn't take long to go wherever you want to go, and the options are varied, and a lot of them are clean, for instance. How is that achieved? That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all of our problems, isn't it? Because although, you know, Transport for London, obviously, you know, and in and other cities, the equivalent in other cities around the UK, they are the, the main driver, if you like, and the provider and the, and, and the one with the planner. But we as citizens and consumers are part of developing our future in our cities and making those cities sustainable for all of us, not just in terms of you know, um, more efficient transport delivery. That's true. We could ask people to stop asking for quick deliveries. But I want to pick up on one thing you said. You said uh, things won't be delivered by bike. Well, actually, they could. There is a, a whole range of um, a new sector called cycling freight, which is the, the pompous way of saying cargo bikes. So you have a bike or a trike you might have seen. There's more and more like London, branded with the various deliveries companies. Um, so you have um, a box at the front or at the back. And see that they have obvious advantages. And this is a, by a, 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 a bicycle that you pedal. Yeah, it's not a you pedal. Bike. It yeah. might be electric assisted, okay. but it has to be more mostly pedal. Um, it means actually in congested London, uh, some companies have adopted it because they could do the, the last mile delivery much faster than a van. Because van, you have to well, drive to traffic, you have to find a place to park. It's easier to park a bike. Um, and see, it's. It's low emission, it's zero emission, and it's not noisy, etc. One of the challenges is the integration. They need micro consolidation center. It's a place where they can bring lots of parcels with a van or a small truck, and then from there, the bikes can go and do them maybe a 10 miles radius. Um, but the city is not planned to have these little spaces uh, to do these things. And it's the same issue with anything you want to do new in the city is finding the space, because there's not a new space in central London. So when to put charging points, well, Mm-hmm. You've got a challenge at the moment of where do you put them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's super, seeing that goes to a question you want to ask later. How do we do? What do we plan in the future? Is that integration of positive people who care about the, seat, the street clutter, the people who care about air quality, the people who care about things being delivered on time, everyone coming together and trying to do all this, these um, complicated drawings Alex is showing us here <laughs> <laughs> together. And the governance model as well, because TFL might come up with an amazing vision but on the ground, it's different local authorities, the boards, who have some of the powers to do these things. Um, it's how you align everyone, everyone's interest uh, as well. And everyone is very interested in different elements of that, aren't they? So trying to get everyone on board, especially when you look at different councils, um, they've all got very, very different priorities, like you say. So it's really hard to kind of bring everyone together on the same page. Yeah. Yeah, and that must be something that you, you I guess, struggle with a little bit, Mary, because, I mean, you're, you know... You, your responsibility is EVs, electric vehicles, mm-hmm. um, and obviously one of the big challenges is around making sure there's enough charging points and that people can, you know, in the city it's less of a problem probably because you're not travelling the distance. So I'm assuming that you know most EVs in the city don't need to be recharged during the day, but yeah. if you're coming in from outside, you would need that. So, so what? How are you looking at this vision of, of a smart city for the future? So I think from an EV perspective, where we're talking about location of uh, charging points, it is, it's much more difficult in urban areas. It's finding those parking spaces. And bear in mind, those cars are parked there for quite a period of time as well to charge. Even on a rapid charger, you're still talking 40 minutes if you want a full charge on it. So it's the encouragement of giving people the options to put them in places where they can park and be able to do something at the same time. There's this concept of EV hubs. 
but again with EV hubs there's no space in, in the city to kind of create these um, so it's using hotels, cinemas, gyms, workplaces and O11 the government have put in a lot of funding and encouragement into people to take up um, these particular charge points in these areas so we have workplace charging schemes for example to pe- for people to put them into workplaces um, domestically it's very difficult in an urban area as well there aren't many houses with off-road parking so it's trying to find you know how do we do that there and then what we're seeing is things like supermarkets places like that where they're actually offering and putting them in as services so it's getting all of those people on board to be able to do that see it as a service see it as a provision and kind of work together to make that happen and what's the what's the rate of kind of penetration and take up of EVs? Because I mean, there's a perception that they've been very popular, and there was a report recently saying that you know, particularly commercial fleets have been huge buying up of hybrids. I mean, they're not they're not pure EVs, are they? But um, and actually, they just bought them because they had a big subsidy attached to them. They weren't yeah. using their full hybrid capacity. Yeah. So, what's the, the the percentage of cars on the road now um, that are 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 actually electric? Very very small. So at the moment, we're probably looking at about four percent. Oh, not on the road. Less 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 than one percent. Yeah, in terms of registration. Yeah. Oh, so tiny, at, tiny, 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 tiny numbers. Moment, tiny at the moment. But I think what we are seeing is more manufacturers are being pushed that way. More manufacturers are committing to electric vehicles and they're coming out saying, you know, from 2019, they're not going to be doing any more um, research and development into standard vehicles, kind of pushing it into the EVs. But the other problem we have is actually getting those EVs on the road in the first place. Because, you know, when you go to a dealership to buy an electric vehicle, you might find you're on a waiting list for six months before you can get one. Really? Because there aren't enough in manufacture? Yeah, trying to get them through. Oh, that must be a challenge. At the moment, the demand outstrips the supply. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I suppose that's reassuring, but it's all frustrating. It's frustrating for people, isn't it? It is. And and in terms of the kind of charging network, I mean, it, is our vision of this city of the future, I mean, we've integrated that. Is there a way of making sure that when, you know, the, 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 the energy supply that's coming into the city is green and clean um, and that there's a relationship between, you know, the energy that you're using as a major transport provider and the energy that we've got, you know, in the EV charging network and that actually they're, they're not competing. Those two, those two demands for clean energy are not competing. I mean, is there enough clean green energy to go round? Yeah, yeah, I think what we're seeing is actually a change for the grid now. So, EV infrastructure many years ago, I think, was very simplistic. A lot of people were putting in 13 amp sockets, standard box plug and play units. But what we're seeing now is that actually they are becoming much more smarter solutions. So we're almost creating a smarter grid. We're seeing combination with battery storage, for example, in depots. So those depots that are taken on fleets, they're combining EV charging solutions with battery storage, with solar, and kind of bringing those all together so that it's not a case of um, supply meeting the demand but almost demand adjusting to the supply that's available and it's those smarter solutions that we're now creating and especially around sort of property and and those kind of areas as well with new designs that are coming in new constructions that are coming in they are looking at these renewable technologies and renewable energies that can kind of bring all of this together okay and Alex how how bought into this idea of this really truly sustainable city do you think that the government is? Because, I mean, the kinds of things we've been talking about, these are large amounts of money, aren't they? And, you know, while we're all very passionate about the subject and, you know, some of us are more knowledgeable than others, but, you know, I'm assuming this is an expensive long-term plan that we're looking at. Yes, um, I would say the government is bought in. It's it's supportive and 
they've recently announced a 400 million pound EV uh, charge point fund which will give additional help and support obviously through finance but again through allowing other players into the market um, but I would always say that ultimately it's going to come down to smaller players both public and private sector there are many many private sector operators out there right now it seems every week there's a new charge point provider or a, an ancillary service connected with battery storage or, or whatever else it might be so there's no shortage of providers there's no shortage of charge points at the moment it's again one of those common myths that people think they won't buy an EV because there's not a charge point in reality there's more than we need right now um, but that's just in central London I mean that isn't across the country is it, it? Cle- it's, exactly you know, it's clearly different is the, yeah. is, is the battery storage and the length of journey you can do and if you can only do 150 miles before you've got to take an hour out of your day or your journey to, to recharge then that for some people is really puts them off doesn't it mm. it, it does although again that the, the myth of, of range is a a slightly strange one in that the vast majority of people do not travel more than 150 miles each day. If they did need to, there would be places on the way that they could charge. And if you really need to, uh, you know, I have a family, we have a, an EV, most of our journeys are a couple of miles. It's shops, it's schools, it's the standard stuff. When we need to go to Cornwall or the Lake District, if we had to, frankly, I mean, the car could do it, but even if it couldn't, then you just take a car, you just hire a car for the day you just do ride share you, yeah there are a number of other solutions that are more cost effective much easier than keeping a huge car on the driveway for the one time a year you go and see your parents in manchester or whatever it might be so that efficiency i think people will appreciate more and more with the sort of apps and the technology that city mentioned because that'll allow us to understand that better um there's probably comments coming in on evs but but just to touch on can we just go back to a couple of points that were made just about Logistics. She's pointing mm. at me now. He's pointing at me. No, but yeah, just women palestra. It's getting dirty. Yeah, no, no. But just good, brilliant ideas. I think some of the stuff that's being touched on. TfL is really interested uh, in just logistics. And I mentioned TfL, but of course, other you know other providers are available. I should say, <laughs> um, even though we're in the building, TfL has a lot of land. I always say TfL is unusual in that we have a lot of the problems that no one else has, but some of our strengths. Equally, no one else has. We have a huge amount of land, 6,000 acres within London, 10,000 individual sites. We have access to power that others don't have. So a lot of the challenges that that, get, that get your guests here and others will appreciate, we don't have. But I would just throw out another one, which is around logistics. I think with the likes of CityMapper and other apps going forward, a lot of the freight challenges I think will be solutions that we haven't yet thought of. Like I, I know somebody that's looking at a solution it's called pass the parcel but ultimately it's around individual people taking a lot of that freight it's an idea that i with my sort of business plan hat on thing that's crazy no one's going to share freight no one's going to do that well no one's going to share hotel homes and holidays well airbnb you know no one's going to buy stuff auctioning off a website where you don't even know you're going to get paid that's ebay Mm. you know no one ever thought people would jump in a car with basically a complete stranger and take a cab journey that's what thousands do every day. So is it that odd that in the future, if I need something to get to Celine, that you'll come by Amanda and pick it up and take it and you'll get paid that for that? That would be odd, mm. to be honest. <laughs> but actually, I think there you're right. I mean, the thing about smart smart thinking for the for the future is we don't have the solutions now, which is why they're futuristic. But, yeah. but the more out of the box, the more, if you like, wacky almost smart solutions we can come up with, the better it's likely to be, isn't it, in terms of sustainability? Because that strikes me as being a, a perfectly reasonable thing to ask somebody to do, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's no different from, from buying from a complete stranger through, through a mechanism where you're going to see them, which is, as you say, on the internet. 
but I know you wanted to come back. Yeah. Well, I was just talking, we're talking about electric vehicles, and I'm probably going back a little bit here and concentrating on those really in the private sector. Um, but electric vehicles are also obviously buses, taxis, public transport, and that all comes into it as well. And, and the infrastructure and that for, for those and getting those in, we, we have got uh, the places to put that infrastructure. We have got the facility to do that and make that work. And then that's making those electric vehicles accessible to all, right? Mm. If we're getting it right across um, our public kind of network, which in London we're doing very well, if we can roll that out through the rest of the cities. Mm. There's no question that our city would be nicer to live in and more sustainable if all of the big polluters, which are the you know the lorries and the buses, not and a lot of DFLs fleet now, green, um, are actually non-polluting. So if that were, if that would make a massive difference, wouldn't it? Just having you know freight and public transport as as green transport, so we haven't got the emissions, it would improve our carbon emissions no end, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. And it would make that city much more of a pleasant place to be. But it sounds to me as if part of the solution is digital, and that's what you've been saying, Celine, isn't it? Is that having that 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 foresight to see a digital joined up solution for something that we don't actually yet see as a problem? And that brings us to something that didn't come up yet, surprisingly. Um, con- connected and autonomous cars. So in your futuristic vision, Alex, do you see a place for TfL to communicate with all cars and send signals to control the traffic? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's being looked at absolutely. Upstairs here on the on the 11th floor, you have the innovation uh, director at TfL, and that is absolutely a fundamental part of what they're looking at, is connected autonomous. And that it just goes to show. Quite scary to me, connected autonomous. Does that mean somebody else is controlling the vehicle that you're in? Maybe, but it's not like in a James Bond movie with like, <laughs> either a laugh and. Okay, because I did have a vision of someone in TFL. I mean, it's very much like Alex on the lap. Yeah. Well, if I wanted to sound very, very dramatic and James Bondy, clearly that is one of the, a fundamental issue with autonomous vehicles. Of course, is that could they be hacked into and you know. There's a lot of cybersecurity aspect to that, which I, I don't want to dismiss by sort of fleetingly mentioning it. But clearly, we'll have to get a grip on that before Celine's driving away and I just decide to play from my car and hack in to her car and take it off the road. You know, I think we'll need to think about that. That's a little way away, but clearly it has huge potential. I don't think anyone's questioning the fact that eventually all, certainly all personal vehicles will be autonomous. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't see any way that that won't be the case. But for that fully to happen is 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 decades away yeah Uh, but it's another really exciting space and it takes you close takes us all closer to where we want to be which is a greener cleaner city and obviously fewer accidents and everything which is a separate issue but very very important one and the point about progress is it it accelerates doesn't it so you know once we've started on this journey we're much closer to that so you say it's decades away but the the nature of progress and digital development is it probably isn't as many decades away as some of us would think actually much closer and before we wrap up, I'd just like to ask, is that as just, you know, as users of transport, as, um, you know, dwellers in the city um, and as pedestrians, what, what are the things that we as individuals can do? Because we've been talking about master planning, corporate planning, you know, government. What are the calls to action for individuals? I mean, what can we do to make our cities more sustainable and, and greener and cleaner and healthier? Celine, I've got something to say. That's going to sound so lame, but anyway. <laughs> no, it's never lame. So I was going to say, be active into a way the active travel, walk, take your bike, take public transport, be active as well as in, if you have an idea, share it, say to your councils, share to people who are de- already developing apps or developing your apps. Don't wait for Alex to come up with all the solutions. Yeah, and the other one, if you are or you know a clever graduate who wants to help solving climate change, go and apply element energy. We're always looking for very motivated and clever people. <laughs> oh, recruitment ad. Nice. Nearly. 
Yeah, for me the same. I think um, get more active, get more involved, using public transport wherever possible, car sharing, all the standard things that you know we think are quite obvious that actually a lot of people don't tend to do. You know, car sharing and that kind of thing. Um, Take public transport, I think, is yeah, yeah, definitely. Public transport slightly different in London. I obviously don't live in London, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alex, final one for us. Final one, obviously agree with all of that, so we don't need to re- repeat that, but um, certainly digital solutions are a huge, huge part of that. And then as ever, you know, use your money. I mean, you know, money where your mouth is and all of that. With EVs, the amount of people that talk about it, uh, even when um, us all in the room have been at conferences and then they do the show of hands, still often how few people that should be the converted actually have that. But as with everything, as with food and sustainability and all the things that Planet Pod does, it's only when people start spending the money, getting an EV, using the public transport that makes the difference so yeah go out spend the money be active so we, we want some commitment planet pod listeners so uh, so so either walk and don't have a car or if we're going to have a car have an ev thank you all very much for joining me it's been absolutely fascinating and i think we've just scratched the surface there's so much more to say about sustainable cities and the relationship between transport and as the technology progresses and it moves forward we'll have you all back to review where we've got to so thank you You've been listening to Planet Pod, brought to you by Akil Management. Follow us on Twitter at planet underscore pod, or download future episodes from our website, theplanetpod.com. We look forward to you joining us again.